0: Revelation 22 tonight, hard to believe we have come now to the conclusion of this great book, but next week we start another great book, the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in that book for 50 weeks, covering every chapter in the book of Genesis, and here's one of the things I love about the book of Genesis, it's for everybody It's a great book for new Christians and those who maybe haven't studied the Word of God a lot in their life to get such a great foundation. (laughs) Uh, Because you need to start in Genesis, really, and have a grasp of that if you're going to understand the rest of the Bible. But you could also be a Christian for 50 years and know the Word of God pretty good and yet still get so much out of the study of Genesis. So it's for everybody. So I hope we have a great turnout starting again next week as we dive into the book of Revelation. Tonight we come to God's final invitations, surrounded by his final exhortations to his people. And they are all in the context of one truth that is repeated three times by Jesus himself in this last passage of the Bible. I want to begin in verse 6 of Revelation 22. Then the angel said to me, John, these words are reliable and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits, or the God who guides and directs the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must happen soon. Three things about the Word of God and the veracity of God in verse 6. First of all, that God and His Word are reliable, faithful, worthy of trust. Second, that the Word of God and that the person of God is true. Nothing or no one else in the universe more genuine, more real than God. And that God, in what He says will certainly and surely come to pass because he decreed it, and he cannot lie. That's what he says at the end when he says, these things I'm showing to my servants, what, notice, must happen. It is absolutely sure. It is absolutely certain. Why? Because God decreed it. And anything that God decrees, he's going to do So surrounding that then, in the context, are these next five words. Look, behold, pay attention. I am coming soon. Notice that that phrase is repeated in verse 12. Look, I am coming soon. And then in verse 20, yes, I am coming soon. Soon. Now remember, this is in the context of everything that Jesus says. It's reliable, it's true, and it's certainly going to happen. So many have said, well, he said he was coming soon. That's 2,000 years ago. And they begin to doubt. That's why we've got to really understand what the words mean. The word soon. Means suddenly or quickly. In other words, Jesus is saying, when I come, it's going to happen in the blink of an eye. And everything's going to change in that moment. And men and women are not going to have an opportunity to all of a sudden at that point get their life right. I'm coming as a thief. In the night. And therefore, it behooves his children, his followers, his disciples to always be ready and to live in light of the imminent return of Jesus. Otherwise, by our life, we're basically saying to God, I don't believe that you are reliable, that you are true, and that the things that you say certainly are going to happen. Otherwise, I would be living in light of your return every day of my life. In fact, keep your finger in Revelation 22. We're going to come back there. I want you to go back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. If there's a passage of Scripture that really coincides with what is being said here three times in the Word of God, it is these words, these words of Jesus... Recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, beginning in Luke 12, verse 35, Jesus says to his followers, Get dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Be like people waiting for their master to come back from the wedding celebration. Ready, expectant, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those slaves whom their master finds alert. Being at their post, doing what God has called them to do, being responsible when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. Have them take their place at the table and will come and wait on them. Even if he comes in the second or the third watch of the night and finds them alert, on duty, not asleep, blessed are those slaves. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, prepared, fit, as we talked about Sunday morning, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. When Jesus says in the final book of the Bible, in the final chapter of the Bible, I'm coming soon, three times. He's basically saying, you're not going to have time to prepare for this, so always be prepared. Always be ready. Live in light of the fact that I could come at any second in the twinkling of an eye. Now it is then in that context, of living that way, living in light of the coming of the Lord, that these exhortations and final invitations are given. So I want you to keep that in mind. I think it carries more weight. In a sense, Jesus is saying, This is how I want my disciples, my followers. To be living, this is what I want them to be focused on as they wait on me. It's just as I said in Luke 12 that was recorded to my own disciples. This is what I want them to be alert about. This is what I want them to be busy doing as they wait for me and expect me to come at any time. Verse 7. Preserve the prophecy of this book. Verse 7 of Revelation 22. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy expressed in this book. And again, that even ties into the context we saw in verse 6. Why? Why preserve the prophecy of this book? Because these words are reliable, true, and certainly will come to pass as fantastic as some of the things we've studied in this book are, as mind-blowing and mind-stretching as some of these things are, they're going to happen just as God said. Now, I want you to see, too, how this ties in even to our series on Sunday morning on discipleship. The word keep here in verse 7 means to watch over, to guard in order to preserve. And why does God hold us responsible to watch over his word, to guard it in order to preserve it so that we can pass it on intact to the next generation of Christians? Because we are made to multiply. We are made to disciple. We are made to invest in others. And as Paul said to Timothy the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, and trust those to faithful people who will be able to teach others also, 2 Timothy 2.2. Discipleship in a nutshell, that verse. Why preserve it? Because in a sense, for 2,000 years, there have been Christians in every generation who have sought to preserve the Word of God intact not just for themselves and their generation, but for the generations to follow so that they have the same intact revelation of God that we had. And that is part of what God holds us responsible for, especially the book of Revelation, because there may be very few books in the Bible that are more attacked than the book of Revelation. And we're going to even see that later on in one of the final exhortations of Jesus in light of his coming soon. So the first is preserve this prophecy in order to pass it on. The baton has been passed to us, relay runner. Now it's up to us to take that baton and pass it on to the next generation. The second exhortation in light of the coming of the Lord soon. Worship God. Look at verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I threw myself down to worship at the feet of the angel who was showing them to me. Notice something here. What is John the apostle's reaction to seeing and hearing things about God? Falling down in worship falling down in worship. That says two things to me. One, that the things that God reveals to us, the things that we see and hear from God should affect us, should move us, should touch us in some way, affect us. And that there should be not just a spiritual response, but an emotional and even physical response. That's all part of worship. Worship is all in, if you will, with God. It is every part of our senses and every part of our being. That's why worship needs to be a sensory experience, if you will. It should be something that affects our entire being, in and out, internal, external. But then also notice this. The angel said to me, Get up. Don't worship me. I'm not worthy to be worshipped. Only God should be worshipped. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and with those who obey the words of this book. His final two words, from the angel to John, worship God. Now, I want to just stay here for a moment because this is so rich. We've talked about this word worship in the Bible before. It, it means multiple things, but there's two that really stick out. The first is it means to adore on bended knee. Okay? Okay? So there's the idea that I am in the presence of one much greater than myself, one superior to me, and that there is adoration and affection that is being poured out from me to God. But literally, this word, worship, means to kiss. Now, I want you to see this tonight. This is really cool, (laughs) We are called as the church, another description of the church, God's people today in the New Testament, is the bride of Christ, right? And Jesus is called the bridegroom. So I want to lay this out for us tonight. It might be another way for you to picture what worship is all about. Worship is the kissing ground between the bride and the bridegroom. That's what worship is. Worship is the kissing ground between the bride of Christ and the bridegroom. It is us pouring out our love, our affection, our admiration, our adoration on and on, our appreciation upon God it literally means to kiss you see again that involves emotion that involves the spirit that involves the soul that involves physical when we're in love it affects us physiologically you see and and that's why I think it grieves the heart of God when in so many christians and in so many churches worship becomes this very routine and 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 very like cold and 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 very thing where we just sort of stand up and 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 there's no emotion involved and there's no spirit involved and there's no enthusiasm involved and it's like really that's how we're going to express the fact that we really love you, God, and we adore you, and we have come in our way to kiss our Savior? The kissing ground. Think of your time of worship with God sometimes as the kissing ground between you and your Savior. Preserve this prophecy, worship God, Then verse 10, proclaim the truth of God. Then he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy contained in this book. Do not conceal them. Do not hide them. Do not keep in silence. Do not keep them in secret. Why? Because the time is near. It's imminent. Share the word of God. Why? Because there is no other answer. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth is only what can set people free. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but through the blood of Christ, but also through the seed of the word of God, Peter says in 1 Peter. The word of God. And that's why then comes this sort of strange verse. Verse 11. The evildoer must continue to do evil, and the one who is morally filthy must continue to be filthy, and the one who is righteous must continue to act righteously, and the one who is holy must continue to be holy. Really, God? You're saying that the evil person must continue to be evil? What's up with that? Again, context. God isn't saying, I want the person who's evil to continue to be evil. He's saying we choose, or I should say it this way, who we choose to be in this life based upon our response to God and to his word is who we will be for all of eternity because there is no other answer. And this is in context of the coming of the Lord. And once he comes, who we are and who we choose to be will be locked in for all of eternity. Pretty sobering, but it's true which is why then the exhortation is you can't remain silent about this. This this word needs to get out because this, this is the answer for people. Jesus Christ is the only answer. And if they die without Christ or Christ comes and they haven't chosen Christ, they've chosen to reject him, then they're going to be who they have chosen to be in this life for all of eternity. There is no biblical purgatory. There is no second chance in eternity. Who we choose to be now is who we all will be throughout the forevers to come. We see this even with the angels and how God dealt with them. At some point in eternity past, When Lucifer decided to rebel against God, the Bible says that Lucifer influenced other angels to fall, if you will, with him. And at that moment, God gave them a choice. But once they made that choice, they were locked into that choice for all of eternity. Those that chose to stay with God and those who chose to rebel against God. There is no thing now where it's like uh, a demon goes, you know what, God, I made a mistake. No. And there's no more chance for those who chose to go with God. No, they're locked in. And that's true of us as well. There comes that point where we cross over, if you will, where the decision we made either for or against Christ is locked in for all of eternity. That's why we need to make sure that the words of the prophecy contained in this book are not sealed up. That we plant seeds, that we share the word of God whenever God gives us opportunity, that we get the word of God out any in every way that we can because there is no other answer. Jesus Christ is the only answer. Next, pursue the will of God. Verse 12:13. Look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to pay each one according to what he has done in this life. Well, then guess what? I should pursue the will of God. If God one day is going to recognize and honor and compensate all those servants of his who have been faithful, but that doesn't just apply here. That also means that Jesus is going to also judge those who weren't doing good deeds. And he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm about the beginning and the end and everything in between, and I have the first word and I have the last word and I have everything in between. I'm totally in control, and I will make sure that all of my people who have pursued my will will be honored and recognized and compensated and rewarded properly and fittingly and appropriately throughout eternity. Folks, this is big. That's why it's so important that we encourage each other to pursue the will of God for our life because it's not even just about this life. It's about what our role and responsibility is going to be like in the millennial kingdom for a 1,000 years. It's about what our role and responsibility is going to be like forever and ever as we rule and reign with Christ in his eternal kingdom. That's why Jesus spent so much time in the gospels with the parables about, you know, the master goes away. And he leaves his servants with talents and with responsibilities and with stewardship of managing things for some time. And then he comes back to account with them for how they have stewarded, how they have managed, how they have done with what he gave them. And all through the Gospels, if you've been faithful, then God makes you even faithful over more for all of eternity. If you and I have been unfaithful, then he takes away what we were given and gives it to somebody else. There's eternal (laughs) ramifications to us pursuing or not pursuing the will of God. And listen, the writer of Hebrews says God is not unrighteous, he will not forget any work, any deed that we have done in his name. He remembers it all, even things you and I forget. He'll remember, we don't do good deeds and do good works to be rewarded. But because God is just, God will make sure that we are fairly and fittingly compensated and honored and rewarded for all of eternity for what we have done for him here. Wow, that seems like that's not equitable. No, it's not. It's more than equitable. Because we shouldn't even be there in the first place except for his grace. And in his grace, not only do we get to be there and exist in a perfect place in his presence for all of eternity, we actually get to be rewarded by him as kings and queens who rule and reign. Respond to the invitation of God. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root. What is the root? The source? Jesus is saying, I am the sovereign God of the universe. I am the source of all things. We're going to begin to really see that next week when we study Genesis 1. Everything came from God that is. He's the source. He's the root. He's God. But he's also a descendant of David. He's also 100% human. In the line of David, in order to fulfill the promises made to David's ancestor. He is the bright morning star. John says it this way, Jesus is the true light who gives light to everyone who comes into the world. Without him, there is no light. So therefore, the Spirit and the bride of Christ say, come, come to Jesus. There is no other answer. There is no other light apart from him. There is no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Let the one who hears say, Come. God is inviting. Let the one who is thirsty come. Because that's the only thing that's necessary is just to recognize, God, I'm thirsty. I'm looking for fulfillment. I'm looking for satisfaction. I'm looking to fill that hole in my soul, and I'm realizing, God, you're the only one that can do it. And God, again, graciously invites, saying, let the one who wants it take the water of life free of charge. Jesus is the water of life who alone can quench our thirsty souls. The Bible is a book of invitations, and God is always inviting us Our responsibility is to always respond to the invitations of God. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. One of the first invitations is where God invites Noah to get on the ark. Noah built the ark, but God is the one in Genesis 7 who says to Noah, come into the ark, you and your household. Come. God is the one who invited Noah into the ark. In Isaiah... Another invitation of God to his wayward people through the prophet Isaiah. Come now, my people, let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they are as red as blood, they can be white like wool. Another invitation from God. You come to the New Testament. John the Baptist is teaching his disciples, his disciples, And one day he sees Jesus passing by, and he turns and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And two of his disciples, we don't know who they were, left John the Baptist and started to follow Jesus. And they followed him into a town that he was going into. And they said to him, Jesus, where are you staying? And you know what Jesus said to them? An invitation, come and see, come and see. Later on, as he was here on earth, he saw a little man up in the tree and he invited him. He said, Come down, Zacchaeus, because today I got to spend time with you in your home. Invitations from God all through the Bible. Maybe the most famous, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Come. Invitations all the way from Genesis through Revelation and here in the very last book of the Bible, God is still inviting people to come before it's too late. Let me ask you tonight. What is God inviting you to do right now or be a part of right now that you need to respond to in an affirmative way? See, God is a God of invitation. Again, He always wants us to know Him more. That's the bottom line. Whatever He's inviting us in to experience or engage with Him in, it's always about knowing Him deeper, knowing Him more. As we sung about, deep calls to deep. Come! Come, what is God speaking to your heart and mind about right now? What is he inviting you to be a part of? Two more tonight, verses 18 and 19. Heed the warning of God. And why this warning? Because God's word is reliable, true, and sure. And God doesn't take it lightly that people tamper with his word. Remember a couple of these verses. David writes in Psalm 119: Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. And Jesus said: Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So Jesus, verse 18, says, I testify to the one who hears the words of the prophecy contained in this book. Jesus himself testifies not to the ideas in this book, but to the very words of this book. That's why we believe that every word in the book, the Bible, is inspired by God. God oversaw every. Word. That's why Jesus said, don't even touch a jot or a tittle, an accent mark in the Word of God, because God oversaw it all, and God had a purpose for every word. Every word has a purpose in the Word of God. Every word was spoken by God to refine His people, and that's why He says, If anyone adds to the prophecy in this book, I will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life, in the holy city that are described in this book. God doesn't take tampering with his word lightly which also then doesn't it coincide with that beginning exhortation about us preserving the prophecy of this book, watching over it, guarding it, every word of it so that it can be passed on intact to those coming after us because God treasures every word that he spoke. There are no wasted words with God in his word. One final exhortation tonight. Pray for the coming of God. We even sang this tonight. The one who testifies to these things, Jesus says, yes, certainly, surely, I am coming soon, suddenly, quickly, imminently. Amen. So let it be. Come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the very last book of the Bible, in the last chapter, in the last verse, ends with what? The grace of the Lord Jesus. The grace of God will keep us, preserve us, and carry us all the way through till we see him face to face. I hope that our study... (laughs) Of the book of Revelation has been as much a blessing to you in getting to know your God better as it has to me to teach it as well can we bow for prayer father God we thank you tonight for your words God every word we thank you for how they inspire how they change our hearts and transform our minds And God, I pray tonight that each and every one of us would realize, Lord, that you're coming soon. That, Lord, when you come, it's going to be so quick that we're not going to have a chance to get our lives in order at that point. We've got to maintain our lives every day. We've got to live in expectancy of you coming, Lord, at all times. And Lord, there's certain things that you want your people to then do in light of that. And you've recorded them in the very last passage of this book. And I pray, God, that we would be mindful of these exhortations, that we would respond, Lord, to your invitations And we thank you, God, that you're a God who always invites us in for more, in to know you more, to experience you more, to be settled in you more, to be at peace in you more, to be at rest in you more, to be strengthened in you more. Whatever it is, God, you are the God of more that is always inviting us to come. And so, God, I pray that we would just say, yes, God. We want that we value you more than anything else in this universe thank you for blessing us God and allowing us to be here these last 22 weeks thank you through the Holy Spirit for opening up our understanding of your word and we thank you God for the privilege and honor we have of coming before you and worshiping you God of falling before our God adoring you on bended knee. God, go with us tonight. Take us all home safely if we're already home. God, give us a night of of rest in you and wake us up tomorrow, God, to begin to worship you all over again. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week.